Listeners, welcome back to a new episode of the Green Finance Podcast, Tearsheet's podcast about the intersection of climate change, sustainability, and the world of finance. Today, we're talking about voluntary carbon markets and carbon-created readings. So if you're confused about how all of this works, you've come to the right place. So many companies are now making net zero commitments, and the way to get there is by cutting down their own emissions and using voluntary carbon credits to compensate for residual emissions, as it's nearly impossible to be perfectly carbon neutral without them. However, the voluntary carbon credit market is relatively new, and many companies are over-relying on carbon credits in this rush to call themselves carbon neutral. In order for this market to function properly, it needs to be accessible and have quality information as well as trust and integrity. We need more funds to flow towards climate solutions, and carbon markets can facilitate this by creating investable carbon assets. But we need to ensure that on the supply side, the carbon credits are of the highest quality. And on the demand side, we need to avoid greenwashing by ensuring those credits do not allow companies to avoid cutting their own emissions. I'm talking about all of this today with Tommy Ricketts, CEO of B Zero Carbon, a company that provides carbon credit ratings and research tools to support buyers, investors, and carbon project developers. We talk about the challenges of designing the infrastructure we need in order to bring transparency and scale up the market meet demand, and drive decarbonization effectively. This really, really important subject, which is uh, carbon credits, the carbon market, and how it's all connected to the world of green finance and also our you know, journey of decarbonizing our economy, our industries, and uh, society uh, in general. Um, and I like to start with setting up a little bit of the stage with some definitions. So let's uh, explain to our listeners what carbon credits are and how do they form a carbon market and how that works. Sure. So thank you very much for having me. Um, so a carbon credit is a contract uh, which is supposed to deliver a ton of avoided or removed carbon dioxide equivalent uh, and what that means in practice is someone has created a project um, could be anything from a renewable all the way through to a mangrove uh, system measured and monitored um, the level of co2 that has been either avoided because you've replaced an activity uh, or reduced or removed because you've actively sequestered the carbon um, and the credit itself is supposed to represent the unit of the market, which is one ton. Wonderful. And here, what is what is the difference between the carbon removal and the carbon remover part? And also, because I see this word popping up, uh, popping up all the time. It says additionality, and yes. we need additionality to prove additionality in order to qualify to be a carbon credit. So, what are the ins and outs of that? Sure. So. Um, there's lots of terminologies. Um, there's a whole new lexicon uh, which is emerging in the in the carbon market, um, and it's easy to be somewhat confused by them. So, uh, at the beginning, there's 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 sort of two types of carbon credits. There's those that avoid CO two. Um, you know, in this instance, you shift from you know a coal station to a renewable, uh, or you you know you you replace some activity which otherwise was was 
pollute, polluting more. And a part of that, and I'll come on to additionality, um, a part of that can be monetized uh, if it's proven that without the revenues from financializing the carbon stream, you couldn't actually do that activity. Uh, and so the same is said of removals. It's just that with removals, the most you know classic example is uh, you know a, a forest or um, soil ecosystem, or in the technology space, you know direct air capture, is that that's actively removing a ton of CO two. So instead of it being you know this was avoided because you've changed an activity, you switch from one mode of operation to another. This actively is taking it out of the atmosphere, sequestering, if you will. Um, now, additionality is the first test, um, and as I'll explain when I explain the ratings, is a qualifying criteria, we believe, for any carbon project, um, which basically says, would this activity have taken place without the carbon, uh, without the revenues from the carbon stream, i.e. the number of credits generated by that project? Because if it would have taken place, is it really a carbon credit? You know, should you really be able to create revenues and create income from from that activity? So, if something is highly additional, for example, direct air capture, a hundred percent of the revenues come from selling the carbon credits generated from the the you know from the factory, right? So that's obviously clearly you know without the carbon revenues from that those credits, you wouldn't be able to afford and maintain and operate you know the 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 infrastructure. By contrast, you've got some other areas such as you know modern renewables where it's price competitive and the cost of capital is you know competitive and allocated in the market so you don't necessarily need to have carbon streams carbon finance streams to subsidize the activity because it would have been funded anyway and so you see the sort of additionality is the way of trying to explain you know where it is in that spectrum right and see what qualifies what doesn't qualify and being able to quantify uh, as well, like what the actual impact is at the end of the day. Um, and... Yeah, so it's, it's the fundamental financial test because ultimately right. a carbon credit is a subsidy for a project. You know, let's just say your project requires $100 and you can, you know, beg, borrow or steal or get subsidies or get, you know, income for 90 of the 100. The 10, that's the gap. Carbon credits, if you were to create, you know, carbon benefits and they could be proved and you could sell them against that 10 that's where you would financialize the carbon credits you see what i mean but if that gap right. is one or that gap is 100 that that would affect how additional a project is and uh this sort of transaction happens in a market correct and markets have developed to kind of serve the sector but what does the infrastructure look like of the market? Like, where can people trade uh, these credits? Yeah, so so there are two types of carbon credits, as people kind of think of them gener gen generically. One is a regulated allowance. So this has nothing to do with the voluntary carbon market. This is the e EU emissions trading scheme or the California scheme or what have you, where governments allocate certain carbon budgets. Industrials have to hit them. And if they outperform their target, they can sell the surplus. And if they underperform their target, they have to buy it from other people. And the price is effectively just a kind of paper contract in the market. That's nothing to do with what B0 does or what we are talking about here, which is carbon cr credits in the voluntary carbon market. The voluntary carbon market is really designed uh, for those activities which are not regulated. 
So traditionally, that's heavy industry, you know, utilities, etc. Uh, for them to try to have a tool which will allow them to help compensate for sources of their emissions, which they couldn't readily reduce uh, or substitute away from. And the market itself operates in pretty simple way. You've got um, the creation of the credit, so origination, which is typically from a, a project developer. In order to do that, they would typically require investment. And so there's a question, there's a discussion, an allocation of capital from an investor who's looking to invest in a, in a project for two reasons, either to get a stream of carbon credits, very similar to how commodities um, finance works, and then they themselves will sell that into the market or a direct return on investment. So they just want, you know, they just want 20% spread or whatever. And obviously the riskiness of that investment will determine, you know, the cost of capital. Having financed the project, the developer then needs to take it through accreditation. Now, these are these are um, these processes are overrun, overseen by standard bodies such as Vera, Gold Standard, uh, American Carbon Registry, etc., and they set the rules and methodologies that projects have to adhere to in order to do uh, create issuance. I.e., they 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 do the te- this is the exam basically. They have to submit all of the evidence, scientific, financial, policy to justify why this credit in some instances is additional or is it has you know permanence factors or you know low leakage etc it's the rules of, of creating the credit now this process is has a binary pass or fail conclusion if you pass you're allowed to issue credits which are universally equal to one unit of co2 one ton of co2 if you fail of course you fail and you, and you come back you try again having issue credits that then those that's then now you know opens it up to a primary and secondary market so you can buy them directly from the developer um and that can go through exchanges and institutions etc and even corporates go to developers themselves and you've got the secondary market through marketplaces uh, and intermediaries and effectively in that instance it's kind of trades a bit like any other you know any, any other um financial security uh, and then the out the, the ultimate buyer at the end of that cycle will be an entity, a corporate traditionally, who will want to retire those credits against emissions they have created. At retirement, that carbon credit is completely wiped out, if you see what I mean, like it's scratched off against the registry so that no one can ever resell or re-retire that credit and double count. Uh, So that's the process as it exists today. Um, But obviously, it's somewhat immature having you know with only a couple of billion of, of trade and liquidity and you know I could talk about how our business sort of is helping to innovate in that space yes definitely but I'm wondering before we get into that if you could highlight a little bit of the uh maybe the issues that uh, have risen with the surge in demand for carbon credits because there are issues around credibility and um regulatory aspects as well and kind of over reliance on credits so in this whole process where do you see um i guess the hurdles or things that need to be improved in order to really develop this market like a sound and stable market and credible as well Sure. So let, let's go back to what's the purpose of a of a carbon credit. So um, the net zero transition requires effectively a balance sheet exercise. On the liability side, you have all the sources of um, CO2 emissions, greenhouse gas emissions from individuals, corporates and countries. And you have to kind of calculate that, 
uh, model it and say, okay, what is the total amount of, of emissions that we're trying to address here? Now, the Paris Agreement basically says, here is your, you know, your targets for how to reduce it to what we consider to be a sustainable rate um, today. And then on the other side, you have to say, okay, well, how do I deal with these emissions? Now, you've got three three choices. You can reduce them permanently. So, you know, every unit of input has a has a lower uh, unit of CO2 output. So changing, you know, form of, you know, material substitution, et cetera. You can substitute activities. So going from coal to renewables, for example, and then you could have to, you can compensate. So you can buy or invest in projects which have a, uh, a positive impact, which will offset your negative impact. And that's why the, the voluntary carbon market is, is supposed to be playing and serving. Now, the reason why, so the, the opportunity here is that the voluntary carbon market, if the carbon credits genuinely deliver a ton of CO2, could be an amazing toolkit for accelerating net zero transition because everyone can't reduce and substitute immediately. There's an enormous amount that you have to compensate both today and on an ongoing basis. And so you need you know, credible instruments with integrity that deliver the climate objectives in order to you know, play a part in that solution. Today, there are lots and lots of concerns about greenwashing, about the integrity of the market, by which I mean um, poor practice, lack of transparency, underwhelming disclosure, People, price is not correlated to quality, so the, the price of the instruments in the market doesn't necessarily tell you how good they are. All kinds of, you know, what you would call systematic inefficiencies. Now, at the root of this, I don't believe there's anything to do with malpractice. I don't believe there's lots of people out there, you know, trying to sort of hoodwink, uh, you know, the, 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 the world. It's just the fact that the system, as I described it to you before in the market structure, is just too... Um, too nascent to deal with the volume of investment that would be needed to actually deliver climate action and the systems to support it are not mature enough to allow that kind of integrity to take place. Now, what I mean by that is a credit is currently taken through, a project takes, a project takes um, you know, the, the carbon credits through an accreditation process. And at that process, you have to have a yes or no pass. You must have some conclusion about is this or is this not a ton to be able to actually create and package up a credit that you can sell in the market and retire against. The problem is the number of methodologies, the number of accreditors, and the types of systems that they are trying to model are not universally homogenous. They're extremely heterogeneous. So trying to say, okay, this methodology which models mangroves and this one, which models afforestation and this one, DAC removal, are all collapsed into one unit, one ton, and all of those methodologies are exactly equivalent. Clearly, that is not the case. And so actually having an analytical system which only allows you to say one or zero is what we believe is the source of lots of these problems about integrity, market structure, um, greenwashing, et cetera. You need users investors, developers needed a second set of tools to risk assess the likelihood that these tons uh, are actually being delivered and a whole new system and risk language from which to do that. And so that has many dimensions. I'll just, I'll just finish here. One, you need clear transparency and disclosure requirements to allow everyone to have the data at their fingertips to assess these things. Two, you need to have strong reporting requirements to allow people to actually know what they've bought at what prices uh, and how that actually translates to their climate objectives. 
And three, you need to have the market seeing quality not as a binary yes or no discussion, but as a probabilistic curve where it's somewhere between you know zero and one, because that's what allows the price mechanism to effectively discover quality and then the capital cycle to actually work efficiently, because that's how it works in bigger markets. So to, so to conclude, you've got an inefficient system, sorry, an, an inefficient system supported by an immature market structure. And the, 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 the swelling of demand is causing that to crack because it's not set up to deal with billions of dollars flowing through it. That makes so much sense the way you've explained it. So thank you so much for that explanation. Because even from the outside, it looks a lot like all the corporations are just rushing to buy credits to just support, just to plant more trees or just to, you know, like it's it's not it's not greenwashing per se, because they, you know, it's something it's legal. It's some maybe they have the best intentions in mind, but it's just the the, the infrastructure and the products in place are not there yet, are not entirely legitimate, so to say. So um and and here like what what do you think about the rush towards carbon credits that that we've seen for corporations because i'm a little bit worried that it's kind of overtaking a deeper strategy that they should be thinking about which is decarbonizing their own operations and not just looking to you know sweep the carbon under the rug or just looking for a fast uh, for a fast solution, something that, you know, can be done in the books, uh, can be done like quickly. You just buy something, you can just invest in something. And by default, the the companies that can afford to invest in this are going to be more successful at the end of the day, which isn't what we want, really. So how do you think about this whole dynamic? Yeah, so um, the first thing to say is the, the priority for society at large um, and everyone within it should be to reduce and substitute activities so that every unit of economic activity has a lower unit of environmental you know out you know uh, degradation and, and emissions associated with it i mean that's basically where we need to get to right that is the future net zero economy we're somewhat in you know in a, in a sustainable mix of our impacts from what we consume deplete and extract and you know the requisite impact on economic growth um and to that point actually what you find is there is a bit of a trade-off here between the characterization of these assets as being, you know, carbon credits as being greenwashing and not effective, and you know, it's all sort of hogwash. And, and then actually, oh, there's this, there's this sort of other reporting that there's this huge flood to the market, and everyone's just trying to buy them, you know. So there's obviously a, there's obviously a contradiction there, right? And actually, what we find is corporates are very mindful, and if anything, slightly worried about going all in. On the voluntary carbon market because they don't want to have they don't want to be dinged either in the financial press or even in by investors for or consumers for having greenwashed so actually what we find is there's probably a bit of a dam emerging behind which corporates are piling not to get into the market because of these structural considerations that i was talking about before um but the demand dynamic if they were to get in could obviously be be you know be huge um now to your point about so there, so you, so decarbonization is a priority. Um, actually, I find that they're more. We find that they're more worried about reputational issues, um, and that is the prevailing force at the moment. The third point is the rule makers, such as science-based targeting and other initiatives in the market, don't really support the use of carbon credits at the moment. So again, that's a little bit of a demand impediment, 
not necessarily a, a demand um, a demand push. And remind me of your second the second part of your question. How should they be using them in the uh, in the market? Uh, yeah, or maybe like what's a, a healthy way of thinking about using carbon credits or carbon offsets yes, right. as, as, as a tool in risk management? Like if we yeah. were to take out, as you said, like the, the perception issue, like, you know, the the, the consumer pressure, so to say, like they, they yeah, don't yeah, want yeah. their image to be tainted. They, they're wary about participating because it's something new. They haven't done it before. They don't really have the processes in place. Um, so sorry i've got my train of thought now so it's all yeah yeah. (laughs) then go ahead but so in order so in order for corporates so what is the value of the of the carbon market to corporates as i said if these instruments accelerate net zero transition and credibly deliver a ton or you know a ton of co2 avoided or removed carbon then they are a positive influence um for, for a couple of reasons one, the whole ex- exercise in decarbonization is what you would call pricing your externality. So it's it's basically putting the environmental impact of your goods, services, activities from notionally zero to having a monetary value that you recognize as an ongoing cost to your business. And then you need to address, you know, you could call it an internal cost carbon price, an external carbon price, you know, whatever you want. So corporates sit with this unmonetized or unfinancialized liability. And the whole exercise of decarbonization is to make it a real liability. And then they can decide whether to invest in change, substitute activities or buy instruments to, you know, to offset that liability and, 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 you know, in, 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 in the sense of carbon markets. Now, this is a positive trend because the first time in many instances people can't so organizations pay for their their co2 emissions is via the use of offsets so implicitly they're paying 2 10 20 in some instances 400 dollars per ton of co2 and that is the way that they're actually financializing this liability on their balance sheet and then to be honest all it is is, a, is an assessment of the various opportunity costs and break-evens of different decarbonization strategies. The issue arises if these decarbonization strategies are not equivalent. So if you see, you know, permanent removal is obviously the priority. But if in a you know glorious world, permanent removal through things that you could buy were equally good in quality, then it doesn't necessarily matter how that company allocates its money as long as the because the outcome is the same. You, you see what I mean? But we're not there yet in terms of the development of these things. So I see. It's it's really a case of saying how are, do these decarbonization strategies deliver what they're setting out to do, i.e., removing permanently or substituting permanently sources of emissions in your value chain. Two, are they adequately paying the true cost of what that environmental impact is, and that you know societally I think is about fifty dollars at the moment and are set to rise. So if you're spending two dollars on an offset, clearly you're not. You're not really, you know, you're not really contributing to, to, to societal change. And three, are the solutions all equivalent? I.e., you know, in the voluntary carbon market, different types of credits being equivalent, and then more generally, the different solutions across the different options being equivalent. And that position is when you get a really sustainable architecture around the transition, and that's what hopefully people are building towards. Wonderful. What are some of the tools or 
uh, products that corporate can use uh, at the moment to kind of start on this journey. So for for folks that they, they they're interested, but they don't really know where to start or how to, you know, we've explained how to think of it. But I guess in terms of practical next steps, what would be your advice? So the first thing to do is always just try to understand the sources of your emissions. So whether you're a household, an individual, a small, medium or large enterprise or a country, it's really just what you call carbon accounting. Um, you know, what did I do? And, you know, how did I create emissions? Always emissions come from two things, moving or making things. And so what did I move and what did I make or in this instance consume? Uh, and then trying to add that up and go, OK, well, where can I readily change my behavior and where can I readily you know, remove things that are creating, you know, big impacts. And what would that cost me to do it? Is it something that I'm willing to do? And then once you're in large organizations, what would that mean for me? Now, could it mean that I'm more successful? Could it mean that I'm, I have a, a bigger access to, to customers or consumers for my products because they compete with other people, you know, on the environmental terms? Or does it mean I have a 20 year investment cycle and if I don't get that right, I would be out of business. You know, there's all kinds of options they have to, they have to sort of confront at, at that level. Uh, but the first thing to do is just to understand the sources and then try to say, okay, what does that mean to me? And for me, the, the best way of doing that is putting a price on those emissions. And that forces you to, to, to look at and reassess your different options, but you can translate them to the economy, if you see what I mean. You can translate the environmental impact to the economic reality, and then you can make an informed decision about should I or should I not be having that coffee or should I not should I not be taking that flight or whatever. Yes, definitely. And then for for companies, for uh, financial institutions, when they want to engage into the carbon market, uh, obviously carbon ratings are a, a huge essential part of uh, of of this whole dynamic. Um, so where do you guys stand here and what are you bringing forward, um, in terms of solutions and products and where do you think this is going to go in the future? Great. So yeah, so B, B zero carbon is a, what we call global carbon ratings agency. Um, and what we mean by that is to say, instead of trying to accredit projects before I said an accreditor will say either they're pass or fail, we look at the extent to which we believe based on public information they are actually achieving their climate claim so it's a really a relative comparison based framework not an absolute pass or fail framework and it's the combination of them both that will allow capital i.e institutional finance to access this area because that's exactly how it works you know large-scale capital whether it's investing buying you know selling trading or whatever wants to ask lots of questions but at the moment they can only ask has it been has it passed or failed this test they can't say you know how much has it passed how much has it failed and how does that all compare across the market that's where a rating comes in so we're saying in the rating what is the probability that this carbon credit delivers a ton of avoided or removed carbon not does it definitively um, and then where that's very helpful is we provide the information through an, inf uh, an infrastructure platform where you can do lots of risk modeling, you know, read all about the different views and what drives our opinion. Um, and you can then use that to inform everything along the value chain. So if you're a developer, you can say, OK, well, how do projects that I've used, that, you know, that I've created or the methodologies that I'm looking to use compare? You know, what are the different challenges they face and how does that inform my process? What, you know, if you're an investor, 
what's the future quality, what price do they command, how should I be trying to understand how likely they are to deliver credits in the future and what value they would be. If I'm an intermediary or an exchange, I'm trying to say, okay, well, here's thousands of credits on the market. How do I help my buyers understand that I've the differences in, 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 in quality and how that should be driving their decision making? And obviously as an end buyer, ultimately what they really care about is, is the money going to the activities that they want to support? And is it really actually delivering that climate objective that I'm using in this liability management, you know, balance sheet um, exercise against the emissions that I am, I'm, I'm, you know, taking taking responsibility for? And so the rating is really just a way of saying, within this ecosystem, credits are way more difficult to assess than just pass or fail. Here is a system of analysis, like um, financial fundamental financial analysis would be for equities or for credit. Or, or what have you and here's a system for you to use and, and, and explore those themes delivered by you know an, a data analytics platform an api integration and then for anyone that wants to just see the headline letter rating or read our methodology they can just go on our website for free amazing amazing thank you so much tommy for our conversation today it was uh super super enlightening like i actually uh, you really put things together and i really feel like i understand it now um and um i know you um you guys at b0 also uh released a report recently on on carbon credits and the first movers in the market which we're covered here at tear sheets so um super excited about this market going forward and really just working together you know to to um to develop and build uh, solutions and uh you know effectively use tools increase transparency um and uh, educate folks across sectors so thank you so much uh my pleasure thank you for having me to read the transcript of our conversation head over to tearsheet.co if you want to know more about the intersection of finance and sustainability you can subscribe to our free green finance newsletter in your inbox every other week to get more insights and research into this topic. That's also where I'll be featuring every new Green Finance podcast episode, so sign up to stay up to date with all of our content. Thank you for listening, and make sure you subscribe to the Green Finance podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll be out with a new episode every two weeks, so I'll see you at the next one.